haven't seen me before. My name is Sarah Gelly. Um, I'm part of the preaching been here within the last year or so you might not have seen me preaching because I've just been on a, a season of maternity leave which is coming to end this morning my maternity leave from work came to end last Monday but I'm more excited about this coming to an end of my mat leave because I'm really excited by what God is going to do this morning what God is going to say to us if you've been around over the last few weeks you'll know that we're part way through a series called pointing to Jesus where essentially we're looking through the scripture now here's my challenge I'm clicking, but I'm not getting anywhere. Oh, there we go. I'll click down. That'll work. Um, So we're going through a series looking at different uh, narratives and stories from Scripture and how they point to the person of Jesus and who he is. And actually what that's highlighting for all of us is that that is actually what the whole of human history is about. That just as you could pick any passage or any story in the whole of Scripture and you can make it about Jesus, the same is true of our lives today of the events of this world as they unfold it is actually all about Jesus and it's exciting it's exciting to be doing this I'm really hoping that's not the parent of Asha Gelly because that'd be a bit awkward Um, but I'm excited about speaking today because actually if there's ever a time you can be confident that Holy Spirit is going to come and speak to us it's a morning when you're given a title like this right because Holy Spirit's entire job and purpose is to point to Jesus he is passionate about pointing to Jesus so as we as a church choose to turn our attention to him we know that Holy Spirit is with us so I can know with utter confidence that Holy Spirit is in the room right now, that he's ready to speak right into our hearts because he is passionate about turning our attention to Jesus, the Son of God. So we were given freedom as a preaching team to choose which biblical character we wanted to focus on. As I say, when you're looking at the whole of Scripture, it can be quite tricky to whittle down to who is the one character you want to look at. So I wanted to look at a woman who is um, outstanding and full of faith, um, and with a little bit of help from particularly from GL who preached last week we, we settled on Rahab now some of you will know of Rahab some of you won't she's actually a real heroine of the Bible she first appears in Joshua chapter 2 she then appears later in Joshua she then appears in Hebrews chapter 11 now Hebrews chapter 11 is an entire uh, chapter of the Bible given over to pointing out the real heroes of faith and heroines of faith but there aren't many women who make it into that list and Rahab does now as I said earlier we uh, have recently or 10 months ago but it feels like recently had a baby girl now before she was even born we knew that she was going to be a girl and so we spent a lot of time praying and thinking about what we should call her we wanted to give her a name that would speak boldly of who God is and who God's called her to be and so we spent a lot of time mulling over names we mulled over a lot of the um, kind of biblical names that many of your girls have got See, once again, I can't make the clicker. Oh, wrong way. There you go. So we, there she is. She's a little one. She's not that little anymore. She's quite sturdy. But so we spent a lot of time praying about names like Esther, Ruth, Naomi, Deborah, these great women of the Bible. Now, surprisingly on our list, the name Rahab never made it. And actually, in all my time in churches, despite her being a great heroine of faith, I've actually never met a Rahab. 
Um, for those of you who don't know the story, as we move on, you might discover why that might be. Um, but actually, maybe today, as we focus more on her attributes, I might change some of your minds, and maybe in nine months' time, we'll find some little Rahabs running around, because she is actually a great woman, despite where she began. Um, and can't that be said of all of us, hey? So um, before we get going, I'm just going to pray that um, Father God would speak to us, um, and then we'll get into finding out who she was. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I know with utter confidence that your job is to point to Jesus. Your role is to point to Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I know that you are passionate about this morning. Holy Spirit, I know that you want to be here in our midst. Holy Spirit, I know that you've got things to say. I know that you want to speak to us, you want to change us, you want to transform us. God, this isn't a sleepy summer Sunday for you, Lord. You have got mighty things to communicate to your church. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that through my words, God, through our illustrations, through our discussions, Lord, that you would cut us to the heart and you would change us as a people, that we could reflect you better, like GL spoke about, that we would be pointing to you with our lives as we see you with greater and greater clarity. Lord, please come and be among us. Amen. Okay, so Rahab. I just want to put her story into context for you. I say some of you will know the story, others won't. She's rarely preached on, but she's a profound lady. So her story actually appears in the book of Joshua. Now, some of you would have been here two weeks ago when Pete Wood spoke really ably about Joshua. Um, That preach is on the church website. I know because I listened to it this week. So if you didn't hear it, please listen to it, not only because it's amazing in and of itself, but also because it will help to put today's sermon into a bit of context but I'm just going to summarize a real little bit of what he said so Pete spoke to us about the book of Joshua it appears in the Old Testament um, it is both a historical book meaning that it tells us stories but it's also a prophetic book meaning that as we reflect on those stories of the past God is trying to tell us something about the future and what he's going to do um, The story appears where the people of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt for a long, long time. They've been maltreated, they've been abused, they've been cursed and really looked down upon. Um, God then rises up Moses to step forward and bring the people out of slavery. Now God intervenes in many miraculous ways and you can obviously read about that in the book of Exodus. God sends multiple plagues over the people of Egypt until in the end they say, right, you will go. The last plague, the significant one well they're all significant but the one we'll talk about a bit later is that on one day God sent the angel of death through the camp of Egypt and he killed the firstborn of every family the firstborn son of every family and it was after that happened that Egypt said right then go go this is too much we can't bear it anymore Israel go be free we liberate you so Israel went and God did lots of miraculous things again you can read about that in Exodus but then they made a few mistakes and because they made those mistakes they ended up walking through desert for 40 years that's the central image there we always think of like palm trees and and sand that isn't probably the kind of desert they went through the desert they would have been in was a bit more like that then Moses passes away and he passes the baton to Joshua and Joshua their leader is given lots of promises that he is going to lead them finally into promised land I don't know if you can really see on that image because it's quite small the best image I could find on the internet to represent the promised land is an image from the Lion King uh, so that is Simba surveying the African uh, savannah it is the best picture I could find to convey that sense of how Joshua would have stood looking over the promised land that God has given him with a 
sense of promise, with a sense of commission, with a prophetic anointing over him to finally lead the people of Israel who've been waiting for 40 years into that land. And it's at that moment that we encounter the woman called Rahab. She's down here on the bottom right. See, she is in a city called Jericho, which is is occupied by the Canaanites and sits right on the gateway of the promised land for the people of Israel. So they're there. They're living with promise. They're like, this is it. God's given us a land. And there's a massive city called Jericho occupied by Canaanites who've got a reputation for being both ungodly and bloodthirsty, even sacrificing their children to their multiple gods and and suddenly you have the people of Israel there and we know there's a battle to come and then we get to Joshua chapter 2 and that is where Rahab comes in so I have asked Tabitha and Reese to come and help me read the story of Rahab um, I'm hoping Reese is coming yes he is brilliant brilliant so we need two microphones for them there you go John's got one I've got two So um, we're reading the Bible passage first, and I am going to be the part of narrator, which is always the least glamorous part, Um, and Tabitha is playing the part of Rahab, and, um, oh, you don't have your sheet, that's okay, we can share, don't worry, and Reese is going to play the part of the Israelite spies, ooh, interesting, right, okay, so, ooh, I'm going to be the narrator, so I'll go first, right, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. You've got to pretend to be two people. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent a message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I, didn't, I, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But, aha, she had taken them up onto the roof and she had hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies or spies lay down for the night, she went up onto the roof and said to them, I know that the, that the, Lord, you, that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear have of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you we have heard how the lord dried up the water of the red sea for you when you came out of egypt and what you did to shion and og the two kings of amorites east of the jordan whom you completely destroyed when we heard of it our hearts melted in fear and everyone everyone's courage failed because of you for the lord your god is god in heaven in heaven above and on earth below Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Show me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my mother, father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. 
Now the men had said to her, This oath you have made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. It, if, any of, uh, if any of them go outside your house, of your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on, their, uh, be on our head if the hand is laid on them. But if I tell you what we are doing, we will release you from the oath you made us swear. Agreed. She replied, sorry, that was me. Let it be as you say. <laughs> so she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Okay, well done, guys. Take your seats for a second. Very good, very good. So if you just take a seat down there, I'll grab you back very, very shortly. Okay, so if you didn't catch that story, despite the brilliant acting, essentially what happened is Joshua sent some spies into Jericho. They decided to stop at the house of a prostitute, which probably in the context of Canaan would have been the equivalent of going to the local pub. It's where you pick up the gossip. It's where you find out what's going on. Now, when they're there, they encounter a Canaanite prostitute. So that's pretty extreme, right? The Canaanites are very ungodly, and we're now getting an ungodly prostitute prostitute um, but in her what they find is a woman of faith and what she does is she um, a gives away military secrets so she lets them know that actually the whole of Canaan is already terrified and melting before them anyway so battle is basically theirs and then she says I know that your God is bigger than all the gods that we've got so I'm going to hide you in the roof and then I'm going to lie to my own king and then I'm going to release you now because this is a story that we know quite well it's potential that we lose a sense of danger that she then put herself in. Now, remember, I've said the Canaanites are renowned for being bloodthirsty. They even sacrifice children. Now, Rahab has directly lied to her own king. So the Canaanites are now against her. That's quite a lot to be against you. And she's a Canaanite prostitute, which is pretty ungodly. And there are people coming against her who have been told to clear the land of ungodliness. So she's actually got good reason to be scared of the Israelites as well. So she has now put herself in a very perilous position. And she throws herself on the Israelites and she said, Would you show me mercy? Because I know that your God is bigger. I know that your God is greater. I know that he is the king of the earth and the king of the seas and the king of heaven. Would you show, choose to show me kindness? And what they give her as a token that they're going to do that, and they've heard her, is essentially, if I can get it without spilling the water, a piece of red string. And that is her assurance that they are going to show her mercy. Now, this is a very rich passage, and I could spend hours unpicking it, but I've been told I've got 20 minutes. So I want us just to focus for a while our attention on this red cord. Can I go back? This red cord. Oh. I can go back too far. There you go, the red cord. I think we might both be clicking at the same time, which is understandable. So I just want us to focus our attention for a minute on the red cord and the task that Rahab was given by the Israelite soldiers. So Rahab was told, in this position of utter peril with the Canaanites against her, the Israelites coming, they can see the massive army, everyone's melting in fear, and she is told that they will keep her safe despite the fact that she actually lives in the wall of the city, the very where the heart of the battle is going to begin, in the wall of the city. And she is told, we're going to keep you safe and your entire family so long as what you all choose to do is go and stay inside that house in the heart of where the battle's going to rage. But don't worry, we're going to give you a piece of red string. That, that's going to help you out. 
I just want you to imagine the, the seeming insanity of the task that she was given as she then had to go around to her family members and convince them to come. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us how those conversations went, so I've just used my imagination for a second, and I would ask Rahab, and now Rahab's father, also known as Reese, just to come out and give us a little bit of the action of how that might have gone, that conversation. Coming up, guys. Okay, off you go, Rahab. Hi, Dad. I've got some very important news. Hi, Dad. I've got some very important news. Oh, sorry. I'm a bit busy, you know, planning an escape route. You know, I'm kind of melting with fears over here, and you know those uh, Israelites are, are coming, you know. That's what I need to talk to you about. I sheltered their spies last week. They won't harm you if you stay in my house. You what? <laughs> you helped them. Are you crazy? Like, don't you know they parted the sea and they destroyed the Amorites? What makes you think that they won't destroy you? A prostitute. Does the king even know what you did? Sort of. He knows they entered my house, but when he asked me, I hid them and lied to him about it. <laughs> oh my Dagon. <laughs> they got it. You lied to the king. You know we are a people that sacrifice children, right? And now you've lied to the king? So now I'm going to have to run from the Israelites and from our king. Stop distracting me. No, Dad. Stop. You have to listen. Don't run. The Israelites are coming with their God. Stop swearing by Dagon and fearing our king. They are both as good as dead. Their God is the God of heaven and earth. And they swear by him that you will be safe in my house in the city wall. In the wall? In the heart of the battle? How will they know it's your house? I'm going to tie some red string on the window. <laughs> You're getting crazier by the second. Red string, that's it. That's your master plan. You think you can protect our whole family with you know, from all these people, from these brutes, with a piece of red string. There we go. That'll do. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. They acted better than I could have imagined. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Reese. See, as I thought about how that conversation might have gone, I mean, who knows if that's how it was, it actually made me think about other stories in the history of Israel, stories that those spies would have known but actually Rahab wouldn't have been familiar with. Stories like when God said, you know, my judgment is going to come over the whole earth, but Noah, I would like you to build a boat even though you live in a desert, and I'd like you to go and convince your entire family to come in it with you. I wonder whether Rahab would have felt a bit like Noah felt on that day. Or when God said to Moses, do you know what? The people of Israel, judgment is coming over the whole of Egypt and every single firstborn son is going to be killed. But what you need to do is have roast lamb tonight. And when you kill that lamb, before you eat it, remember to put just a bit of blood on your doorway. And that way, the angel of death will know it's your house and he's not going to kill you. See, Rahab wouldn't have known those stories, but the spies did. So when the spies said to her, 
I've got some red cord, probably, not string, but I've got a red bit of material to give to you. In their heads would have been the story of when actually the angel of death passed over, when judgment passed them, and they actually stepped into promise rather than judgment. They would have known that. She wouldn't. She just had to obey, and God brought her in. See, actually, this red cord is a powerful image that actually as the Israelites stood on the brink of promise and all that God called them to, what God was doing is grafting a Canaanite prostitute into their promise. What God was doing was saying that blood that covered you and protected you, do you know what? It's good enough for a Canaanite prostitute as well. Actually, as you enter into promise, you need to know that the promise is not just for you, but this promise is for the ends of the earth. See, this is a foreshadow and a taste of what Jesus was to bring fully. But actually, as they entered in, they had to know that the promise is bigger. See, God's heart has always been for the nations. God's heart has always been for international multicultural culture people God's heart has never just been for Israel thank God because most of us aren't actually Israelites by birth maybe someone here is I don't know but actually God's heart has always been for the nations even right back at this point and Israel couldn't enter into the promise without grafting others into who they were so Rahab gets given the Israelite promise and what was the ticket into it faith actually a declaration of faith in who the Israelite God was Now, that wasn't just like a sparing at that moment, but as we read the rest of the story, oh, we're still going the wrong way. As we read the rest of the story, we can read by Joshua chapter 6, that Joshua did spare Rahab the prostitute and her family, so she won. She got them in somehow, however that debate went, she managed it. And all who belonged to her, because she had hidden the men that Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. See, it wasn't just a moment thing for Rahab. Actually, it became a life thing. She actually entwined herself with the Israelites. In fact, so deeply that when we get into the New Testament, uh, Matthew speaks to us about Jesus' ancestry and his kind of physical lineage. So where, where his family came from, we can read that um, one of his forefathers was Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. See, Jesus didn't just, or God didn't just bring her into the Israelites' promise for a promised land, but actually brought her into a much bigger promise, which was a promise to come of Jesus, who is now our ticket into our promised land. See, God wrote her inextricably and unremovably from his story of salvation. See, God's heart has always been for a multicultural, multicolored, multilingual people. His heart has always been to pull us together under his blood, under the symbol of his sacrifice. And as I've been preparing for today and thinking about it over the last couple of months, really, I really feel that there's a now word for us as a church um, that we must pay attention to and listen to. And that is that God has called us as City Hope to be a multicultural, multilingual, multinational people that he has called us to graft in people from all nations and all people groups into us. And we are doing that. I mean, thank God, actually, for how diverse we are. Thank God for people like Sharon, Lex and their family, who we've heard today, are extending the international vision of City Hope by living in Iraq. Thank you guys for doing that. It does Iraq good, but it does us good as a church, as it broadens us. But I feel like God wants to take us further. You might be here and you might not be 
from a British background. And I think God wants you to know that this is a church where you, he wants you to be at home. That this isn't just about us being a white British church with a multicoloured membership, but God wants to call us in our heartbeat and in our identity to be a multicultural church in every sense of what that means, into our very fingerprint and our DNA. And I believe there's more of that for us and that as we do that, God will bring us into promise like he was bringing Joshua into promise. As the people of Israelites stepped into the promised land, God made them international. And I believe that God will do the same for us. And so I've been reflecting and thinking, thinking, God, what does that mean? Where would you take us? How do we do that? How do we put that into practice? And so I just want to add a few reflections. I put this picture up earlier, um, and I think it gives a helpful illustration for some of you who don't know me to know why multiculture is so close to my heart. See, this is my family. This is Kwame, my husband from Ghana. We met in Ghana. Um, And these are my children, Asha and Dalana. Um, And together, for the last four and a half years, we've been working really hard to build multicultural families. We've had highs, we've had lows, we've made mistakes, but we've learned some stuff. Now, I know there are many other couples here who are doing the same and will have learned much more than us because you've been going for longer. Please be gracious with me as I share with you some of the lessons that we've learned because I think they'll help us as a church as we walk together into more of this. What we've learned is that we have to be willing to ask questions of each other that neither of us would have to ask if if we married people from our own cultures. I want to give you some examples so you can pin that down to make it real. I've had to be willing to have a conversation about, and not just one, about why it is deep down in my core somewhere, I believe I'm probably a better parent if my children wear Clark shoes. I have to talk about that. Now, if I married another middle-class white British person, I probably wouldn't have to have that conversation. But we've had to talk about that and debate it. We've had to talk about why it is for Kwame that he feels that we should spend New Year's Eve in church and that something's a bit wrong if we don't. Now, if Kwame married another West African, he wouldn't have to have that conversation. But we've had to debate that round and round. We've had to talk about why it is, I believe, that all godly children go to bed at 7 o'clock. And you know what? The answer that that's when CBeebies goes off isn't good enough. We actually have to talk in a bit more depth. We've had to talk about why it is that um, our children might call older people they respect auntie and uncle. We've had to talk about whether, whether we'll do that or not. Those are all conversations that if we married someone from our own culture, we wouldn't have to ask. And as we as a church become more and more a multicultural family, we have to be willing to give time to ask questions that actually if we'd gone to a monocultural church, we wouldn't have to ask. And we need a freedom amongst us to say that's okay. So if you're here and you're not from a British culture and you want to ask, why do we do it that way? Why do we do it that way? We need to have a freedom to give time to those questions, to talk them through. There are times where, honestly, we're tired and we don't want to have to talk about it. So we'll, we'll meet one of these impasses and we have to talk about bedtime or whatever it is. And you think, oh, I'm just tired. Can't we just do it my way for now? And actually, to a point, we can, and we go with that for a while, and everything ticks over, until in the end you realise that actually one of us is feeling a deep sense of resentment, because actually we, we needed to talk about, we needed to work out what our way of doing things is. Now, there are some of those discussions that where we look a bit more Ghanaian now, there are some where we look a bit British, there are, there are a lot where we look like something in the middle, because we talked it through. So as a church family, we need to have the grace for each other to ask those questions. Some of those conversations are funny, some are stimulating and fascinating, they're the kind of conversations I I love so keep us going for a long time but some of them will be very painful and even offensive we've had some conversations that in the end have worked out to be marriage shaping 
But actually, at the time, they felt like they are going to be marriage-breaking. Particularly after our son was born, we had some big conversations about how we crossed cultures with him that were tough and still bring a tear to my eye because they were difficult. But actually, we had to choose to give ourselves to that. We had to choose to show grace to each other. We had to choose to be quick to forgive and quick to ask for forgiveness. And actually, as we as a church body work towards what it means to be truly international, to truly graft in people from all nations into the promise, we need to learn to do that, to be flexible, to be quick to forgive, to ask for forgiveness. And I feel like maybe even around this room, there are people who maybe you feel a bit bruised and hurt. Maybe you've been part of City Hope for a long time. You feel like, actually, I've tried to have some of these conversations and it hasn't gone well. And actually, I'm feeling a bit hurt. I believe there's healing today for you. I believe that God wants to bring release. I believe that there's a specific anointing over some of you who might not be from a British background that God wants to give you a voice again to speak with boldness. We need you in. We need you committed. We need you part of us. And we need to go on a journey together into this. Just so you know, as I was preparing this, I did check with Chris that I'm allowed to say all this. Because I was a bit like, am I, am I not? And actually, Chris challenged me to go further than I was going to. So I was going to talk about our DNA being uh, multicultural as a church. And Chris said, no, no, no. It's got to be our intention, our choice. We can't assume it. We've got to work on it. So actually, Chris is fully behind what I'm saying. That actually, as a church, the commitment of the leadership of this church is to become increasingly multicultural and there's promises for us in that. Now, why does it really matter? Why are we talking about it? Is it just to reflect the multicultural nature of London? Well, that's a good thing, but no, that's not actually why it matters. That's not why I'm passionate about it. This is why I'm passionate about it. See, at the end of Scripture, we're given a picture of heaven and what heaven looks like. And the the collective masses are singing to Jesus. And they say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them together to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. See, as we work out what it means to be international, it's not just about us reflecting London. Actually, it's about us reflecting heaven. It's about us reflecting the very heartbeat of God, and that's why we must work together and commit to getting this right. That's why we must have a heart for the, for the nations here and the nations abroad. Um, so we'll chat a bit more about that later. But I also want to come back to talk about this scarlet cord from another angle, or scarlet dress, as it might be. See, as I said before, the spies who gave Rahab that image, they would have been familiar with the story of the Passover lamb. See, when they were coming out of Egypt, judgment was passing over the whole of the people of Egypt. And God said, you sacrifice a lamb and put his blood on your doorway. And that is how I will know that you are mine. And then this uh, red uh, cord was like a symbol reminding them. Do you know, even I was, I was thinking, who knows? But maybe some of those spies were even the firstborn sons themselves who were saved by that lamb's blood. And so they gave Rahab an image that to them would have evoked those memories and reminded them that God used the blood of a lamb to save them from judgment. But you might be here and you might not be a Christian Maybe some of these images don't quite connect with you or you haven't heard them before. But I want you to know that the Bible is very clear that God's judgment is coming for us as well. That actually the Bible is very clear that for all of us we will all die and once we've died we'll face the judgment of God. That might scare you. It scared the Canaanites, didn't it? 
God's judgment for them meant that their hearts were melting as they saw God's judgment assembling outside their city walls. So God's judgment is coming. Now, as God's judgment comes, I'm going to tell you that actually these, these images of a red cord or of a lamb, lamb's blood on your door, right now they're not actually going to help you against the judgment of God. They were images given by God, pictures given by God for one moment in time. But if you're feeling scared by that thought of God's judgment over you and you're considering going out to the butcher's or to Surrey Dock's farm to buy a lamb and smear its blood on your door, I can tell you all you will gather is flies. You won't gather the mercy of God anymore. If you're thinking about cutting up your favourite red dress to tie it outside your door, all you will do is give a wrong impression to your neighbours about who you are. It won't. It actually won't mean that God's judgment passes you. Those two images were images of a coming Messiah, a coming king, a coming lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And you know, his blood will cover you now and for eternity. His blood is as strong today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was spilt on the cross. Actually, his blood is actually the same blood that Rahab actually was tying to her door. She might have thought she was tying a red cord, She was tying a symbol. She was tying a symbol of the blood of Jesus. If you are worried about that thought of the impending judgment of God, let me tell you, there is a symbol for you that will last from now until eternity. There is a symbol of forgiveness. As you come to God and ask him for mercy, as Rahab did, God has got mercy for you. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, The Apostle Paul writes that in him, so in Jesus, we have redemption. That means forgiveness. That means purchase through his blood. Not through a red cord and not through a Passover lamb, but through the very blood of Jesus. For the forgiveness of your sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You see, to come ahead of Moses, ahead of Joshua, ahead of Rahab, or any of the other people that we're going to speak about in the coming weeks or the weeks that have gone, there was a Lord Saviour, Jesus. Three or four weeks ago, you might remember that John Greenway spoke about John the Baptist and how he pointed to Jesus. What John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus pass, he said, Look, there is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. If the thought of God's judgment over you makes you nervous, because you know that in your heart things aren't right with God, you know that in your heart there are things that make you feel ashamed or dirty, you might even look around at these people and you might think, I don't think I quite fit here. I don't think this is quite where I could be. I don't know if God's mercy could extend to me. I want you to remember that actually God chose to graft in Rahab into his people. Rahab was a prostitute from the land of Canaan. She was from an ungodly people and had one of the least godly professions. But yet she professed faith and she said, I know who your God is. I know that your God is a God of heaven and earth. And that was enough. And God extended grace to her. Whoever you are, whether you think you fit here or not, whether you think you're too different from us or not, whether you think you're too ungodly or not, the blood of Jesus is enough to extend the promise of God to you. There is nobody, nobody who God can't save. God chose to graft a Canaanite prostitute, not only into the promise for the people of Israel, but even to his own son's bloodline. That was God's choice. He didn't have to do that. He could have just 
come in and destroy Jericho, but no, he chose to graft it in, to say, you can now live among my people, be part of the Israelite nation. In fact, be in my own son's bloodline. God is for you, but you need to come under his blood. What, what are you tying to your window post tonight? Are you tying your good works? Are you tying your qualifications? Are you tying your hopes, your dreams? All those things are good, but they're not good enough. Actually, Jesus says, would you come under my blood? Would you come under the blood of Jesus? That is where forgiveness is for you. So I want to sum up um, and pull this together. And I want to ask us as a people, actually, whose blood are we sitting under as a people? I believe there are um, some different people who maybe you've picked out bits from today, different things have spoken to you. There are two specific groups I, I feel are on my heart that I want to speak to really, really clearly. And the first group are those, as I spoke about us being a multicultural church and moving further into that, maybe you felt either a bit of a pang because there's a bruise in your heart that actually hasn't been touched for a while but as I spoke about that maybe that bruise just began to feel a bit uncomfortable maybe you are from a different culture and in the past you feel like you have asked questions or you have tried to have these discussions and it hasn't gone well or maybe you feel like it's difficult for you to find your voice because you feel like there's no one else here like you maybe you feel like you're happy to come here on a Sunday morning but it doesn't quite feel like home Actually, for all any of those things, I feel like there's a release from God that says actually he would bring healing to us and he will move us forward as a people together, in it together, grafted in, grafted into each other's bloodline. Okay, It's under Jesus' blood that that's possible. It's not just about us feeling good. It's not just about us being nice to each other. Under Jesus' blood, it is possible to find healing. Under Jesus' blood, it is possible to find courage. Under Jesus' blood, it is possible for us to be united with one Father. And we've got a lot of working out to do. We're going to have to be patient with each other over years to work this out. We may never feel like we fully get there, but my prayer is that in a year's time, we'll look back and say we've moved as a church. But actually, if that to happen we all need to be on board we all need to be in we all need to be heart committing saying I will be grafted into this so I believe there might be some people where it'd be helpful for you to come and just get prayer just to talk that through just to stand with others and I really want to release you to do that There are also some people here who you might not know Jesus. And actually, as I've spoken about a coming judgment from God, just like those people in Jericho could see the judgment of God as they saw the the army of Israel outside. And I've told you that actually God is going to judge you as well. And that might have filled you with a bit of fear, like it filled the people of Jericho with fear. And I feel like God would say to you, he gives you the option today to come under his blood. He gives you the option today not to tie a scarlet cord to your window. That won't do anything anymore. But actually, the blood of Jesus speaks throughout the whole of history. This is just a picture. It's just a picture. But actually, his blood is available for you today. So if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, I would say, please don't leave it. See, do as Rahab did and obey. Bring your whole family in and let's be under the blood of Jesus.